So the I got it mask is the mask of not only do I not need anybody else's help, but I'm fully capable of doing everything myself all the time, doing all the things. This is a mask I am still trying to wear down and put down. Hello, and welcome to the Authentic Wednesday podcast. Each week, my guests and I share our vulnerable behind-the-scenes stories of giving ourselves permission to take off our masks, let go of our expectations, and embrace our own path of freedom and authentic connection. I'm your host, Bianca Hughes, a lover of authenticity and a licensed professional counselor in Georgia. Hello and welcome to the Authentic Wednesday podcast. I'm your host, Bianca Hughes, and this is episode 44 of the Authentic Wednesday podcast. Welcome if this is your first time, and if not, welcome back. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the podcast. This is the month of September and it's celebrating the one year anniversary of the podcast. I have learned a lot over these past few months. One of the most important things is going with the flow and really being authentic with this podcast. I have a guest on the podcast today. My guest is G. Michelle Goodlow. She is a licensed clinical social worker in the states of Georgia and Illinois. Michelle is an Atlanta-based psychotherapist and is the owner of the wellness website G. Michelle Self-Care Resources and her private therapy practice, The Essence of Healing, LLC. Michelle's professional background includes working with adults and children impacted by domestic and dating violence, developmental delays, child abuse and neglect, and youth diagnosed with mental health and behavioral conditions. Michelle created the guided self-care journal, Self-Explore, Self-Restore, to create space for people who've experienced shame, frustration, and difficulty on their journey to taking care of themselves. In addition to providing virtual therapy, Michelle also facilitates virtual workshops on how to make self-care a practical part of your life. Michelle loves to journal, plan in staycations, listen to podcasts just like this one, and spending time with her husband. So let's go ahead and get into the conversation. So hello, Michelle, and welcome to the Authentic Wednesday podcast. I am so excited. I think it's going to be a fun conversation. Excuse us if we are constantly laughing, but that's, <laughs> that's just me and Michelle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> See, we started already. <laughs> we can't help ourselves. We just can't. Oh, goodness. Uh, so, um, my first and favorite question What does authenticity mean for you? I love this word. I love that this word is a part of who you are, Bianca. And when I think of the word authenticity and being authentic, I think of freedom. I think of being free from judgment, self-judgment, free from criticism, free from fear, living as your true self in in a fearless way. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Fearless and freedom. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Have you always been authentic? Absolutely not. Next question. No, I'm just kidding. No, you know, it took me, 
it took a lot of work to get to this place where I am now personally and professionally, where I feel like I'm being my authentic self. And it, it takes daily adjustments to remind myself that I'm worth being my authentic self, that my authentic self has value and is appreciated and that I can have freedom too. Would you say you wore a mask before? Yes. A couple different colors. What was that mask? You know. <laughs> can you name them? A few of them? <laughs> if I were to name like the main mask that I wore was just perfect Michelle. If I can keep it super simple. This this facade that I have to present myself as a very particular way to people. And again, emphasizing that my authentic self was not worth doing that, that I needed to present myself as never making mistakes, always organized, always on top of things, never late, always going above and beyond, especially when I worked full-time as a social worker for different industries. Man, that, that mask really, I would walk into the office with that mask on. And funny thing is, as soon as I got back in my car, I would try my best to take that mask off. Wow. And breathe. Yeah. Perfect, Michelle. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds heavy and it sounds exhausting. Yes. It was. Because to, to wear that mask and not present as my authentic self, I'm fulfilling a lot of, I was fulfilling a lot of other people's expectations of what they thought I should be and what they thought I should be doing. So tons of insecurity and pressure is what I would feel on a daily basis. And I'll add, even as I'm reflecting on it, I was a lot more irritable, like quick, quick to react instead of respond. And I I would count down the minutes, count down the time where I could go and be my authentic self, even if it was just being at home, being in my personal life. And it's hard for me and and my experience of trying to be authentic. I worked a lot. So that meant I was spending a lot of time being Perfect Michelle, which was exhausting. So was Perfect Michelle just in work or was it also in personal? It would show up in my personal life. But as I just got older and started having more, I'm going to, you know, we're going to use this word all day today, more authentic relationships in my personal life, I, I noticed in my personal life, I wasn't perfect, Michelle. It was very much tied to my professional self. But around my husband, my friends, my family, I could be my authentic self, which is so interesting to think about now. Yeah. What was it about work for you that you felt like you had to, you know, be perfect, Michelle? I'm really appreciating this question. <laughs> because... I think it had a lot to do with my age and my professional experience. I was a lot younger than everybody I worked with for multiple jobs. I was the youngest one. And a lot of times I was the only black woman. And that means I was the only young black woman. And so I'm trying to fulfill this role. I'm trying to represent, you know, and that's also added into that mask, honestly. And I felt like I had to prove myself. The thing about being a a younger person working with people who are 10, 15, 20, 25 years older than you is is they think that you're incapable. And I, I am a millennial. That's part of my generation. And now I have to also work through those stereotypes. And I don't want to have a woe is me approach to this, but... That was, that was a lot for me to carry. Constant digs um, at myself, at my character because of some of these stereotypes related to my race, my age, and my, the generation that I'm from. And I'm like, can we just get to the work? Hmm. So it was a lot to carry. 
lot for perfect Michelle to carry. Yeah. I'm just thinking about all the expectations, all the isms, all the stereotypes and how that probably created some sense of chaos inside. Yeah, I was stressed. I was stressed and it showed up again through my mood of the of being irritable more often. I also wasn't making the best choices for myself health-wise. I would try to work out, but I wasn't always eating the right things and that sometimes counters. I, I had trouble sleeping a lot too. Um, because of that busyness running through my head of how I need to prepare for the next day. I did a lot of trainings, so a lot of public speaking. How can I make sure I'm showing up as perfect Michelle for a full day with no breaks if I'm going to be doing a full day training? I mean, that's it, a lot that's there. Yeah, so, it, so my, this mask that I wore really took up a lot of space. And because you, a lot of us do work a lot of the time. Most of our day is spent working. That's a lot of time spent being inauthentic. A lot of time spent doing things, showing up as this facade, if I can be completely transparent. Yeah, and that facade is, yeah, anyway. (laughs) We talk about that facade a lot. There's this this facade and there is these expectations. And I just want to add this to everybody because I think I talk about this a lot about the mask and the expectations of others. And I always tell people, you try to live up to expectations of a lot of the time people you don't know and people whose life you have no idea about. And if you really knew them, you'd be like, what? I'm trying to live up to this person's expectation. And it's no shade to them. It's just to say that nobody's perfect. And so you're trying to lift up to these expectations of an imperfect person. And that is a lot to um, carry. It is. I, I love the Enneagram. Yeah. And I am the epitome, Bianca. When I t- Do you know what? I still haven't done that. I still haven't. You got time. There's no rush. Mm-mm. <laughs> Mm-mm. No rush. <laughs> I absolutely am the epitome of a type one, which is, I think the old school term is the perfectionist. And now the new school term is the reformer. Mm. I be- and like, I barely have a wing and the wing would be uh, number two, which is the helper which makes sense. I'm a social worker. I love helping, but I, I am a recovering perfectionist. I do like order. I really, a lot of my values are connected to, am I doing the right thing? You know, am I being ethical? And so again, that would show up as perfect Michelle. And one of the things I would always be questioning is, am I doing the right thing? Am I the right person to be doing this? And that imposter syndrome would also set in. So it's a, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Side note on the right thing. I always tell clients, they're like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? And I was like, you know what? Asking yourself if you do it right actually causes you a lot lot of stress. And sometimes it's not about right or wrong. It's about, do you have peace about your decision? And that takes away from the sense of, is it quote unquote right what I'm doing? Because I find that's a lot with the perfectionism a lot a lot yeah it's huge I know another thing or kind of mask I don't know if you would call it a mask but that we talked about is the helper asking for help Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> mm-hmm. Slowly nodding. I would probably <laughs> I would call it the I got it mask. <laughs> I got it. I got it. As you were to say. <laughs> that is definitely a mask that exists for me. Tell me a bit more about that. Man. So the I got it mask is the mask of not only do I not need anybody else's help, but I'm fully capable of doing everything myself all the time. Doing all the things. This is a mask I am still trying to wear down and put down. I, I've had a history of trying to ask for help and either being rejected or incredibly disappointed when I do reach out and, and share that vulnerable side of me. And so this mask developed and was formed because, oh, I can't really trust anybody to do what I need them to do or do them to my standard. So I'm just going to overload myself with all this work so it gets done correctly. And man, am I paying for that? Uh, It's you're not supposed to do everything yourself. Otherwise, you'd be on this planet by yourself. Mm, I love that. I love that. Yes. So (laughs) how, so I love the fact that you're sharing that something that you're still working through. Um, Cause I always want listeners to know that no one on here has got it all together. And these, these challenges still come up, but I love how you talked and shared about that rejection. What was that like for you in the sense that you finally got the courage Um, I was just having a conversation with someone today about, you know, people struggle about struggling. And sometimes the struggle is about asking for help. So what was that like for you um, to finally be open, be vulnerable, ask for help and get rejected? I had to learn to accept and I'm still learning to accept that just because I put myself out there to ask for help, it doesn't mean that. How do I want to phrase this? It doesn't mean that I will always get what I want just because I decided to be vulnerable. There are going to be times where someone can't show up for me because I've been vulnerable and that's not bad. There's going to be times when someone can show up for me because I was vulnerable and that's great. But I had to learn to, and I'm still learning to accept that just because I take a chance, you know, and it doesn't work out, that doesn't mean I can't take another one. It just means that one didn't work out. I don't have to take that personally or um, apply black and white thinking to just because one thing didn't go my way. And what's been helping me do that, because I know I'm not the only one also trying to work through this, is pick and choose, at least starting to, pick and choose, okay, well, what what instances do I want to be vulnerable in? right now. If I need help with this particular project, let me pick one thing I need help with if I can't ask for help for the whole thing. Let me ask one person who's shown me that they are trustworthy and that they care about me. Let me start there before I ask a perfect stranger. Like there are steps we can take to ask for help and then slowly build. Okay, that experience went okay. Oh, well, you know what? They communicated really clearly with me that they're not the best person to help me. Is that even rejection or is that healthy communication? Like I've had to do a lot of mindset 
shifts around what does it mean to even ask for help to, like you said, gather the courage to be vulnerable enough to ask for help. It's a process. And I'm trying to do my best with that because I know I'm 100% going to burn out if I do everything myself. That's not even fair to myself and what I'm trying to do. Mm. That's been my, my driving force for asking for help lately. I love that. I love that prep talk because <laughs> your prep talk is the um, working with the expectation. And in the sense that perfectionism is a lot about the, gosh, my friend said something really good the other day, but anyway, um, it's a lot about, oh yeah, that's it. Controlling the outcome. And so we do all these things to control the outcome. And so having that conversation with yourself about, okay, these are the possibilities of the outcome um, instead of just expecting it to go one way and then being disappointed and giving up. So I can really appreciate that prep talk that you give yourself. What was that like though, when you didn't ask for help and you tried to do it? I was Miss Busybody. Yeah. And working too much. That's what happened. That's what the, there's still potential for that to continue to happen if I don't take care of this part of me, but constantly working. And now, or at least back then, impacting my personal life in a very significant way. Um, You don't have time to practice self-care if you're working all the time. No, you don't. It, uh, you wrote this blog and uh, it's great blogs. Thank you, Bianca. Um, and you said black women must die exhausted. I think that was like the title or in the blog. And, you know, you talked about the crossroad of um, in terms of experience, experiencing oppression in that in that blog. And tell me, I would think that came from your own experience, partly why you wrote that. Can you tell, and of course, those of your clients. So can you tell me a bit more about that? Because that's a very, <laughs> that's actually <laughs> real title. <laughs> it's a, actually a title of a book. And that was it. And the name of the author escapes me, but it is a, yeah, it's a black woman who wrote that book. It's a fiction novel called Black Girls Die Exhausted. That was it. And I was like, are they talking about me? I don't know why that title resonated with me so strongly, but I was like, I have to sit and write about this and how this is just impacting me. The name of that blog is Why Black Women Deserve to Rest. And I think for a lot of Black women, like myself, like my clients, like the Black women I know, sometimes we need to see how we are impacted by so many things explicitly and implicitly. Like we are impacted by generations before us. We're impacted by this current environment. Oh my gosh, so much that we could talk about in terms of this current environment. And we're impacted by our personal and professional lives. And I really wanted to write more about that, like a lot of Black women that I know in the mental health field, because we deserve to pause. We deserve time away. And we deserve rest in whatever form that that looks like. If it's taking a nap, if it's turning 
you know, putting your phone on silent or do not disturb if you can't turn it off. I've been saying this a lot lately and talking about rest. If it's scheduling your rest into your day, because your day is so packed, you know, or planning for a day off or a vacation a month in advance and sticking to it and not changing it, setting boundaries around that. We need to be a lot more intentional about this rest because we are being compounded by stress and trauma and pressure to an incredible degree, not to mention this systemic racism and oppression that we are constantly exposed to. I mean, you, I, I swear, you can talk to almost any Black woman and she'll tell you her fears about what's going on in our world today and how that's impacting her and her Black loved ones and her Black children and her Black friends and how that constantly has to be a worry in the back of her mind. She doesn't get a choice. If we had a choice, we would put all this down in a minute, but we don't have a choice. That's part of of what privilege means. We are constantly impacted by these pieces. And so we, as like a community of sisters, have to hold each other close and accountable with being intentional with our rest. Because otherwise we'll die exhausted. We have to. And and that goes back to the health at the end of the day, right? Because, um, you know, all the diseases that Black people get. And I definitely, I have definitely been putting the link more and more, and I'm just seeing it a lot that, you know, that's been passed down from generation, the slave, the slave generation, slave, that you have to work. <laughs> you have to kill yourself working because that's in, unfortunately, that's in our DNA. And that's something that we're rewiring to come out of, um, DNA is, you know, Jasmine, Jasmine had, we had a podcast and she talks, you know, rest is our birthright. Yes. Um, and it is, but because of what's been misconstrued and passed down, there's this thing to rest. And I even had to say it to myself recently, you know, I'm, I'm working again back on, on the coaching course for black Christian women and I'm working on it. And I was like, yeah, October. And I just said to myself, you know what? I don't care if that thing don't come out in October. It could come out next year for all I care because I promised myself I would not get into um, the deadline and the time, which you talk about. (laughs) (laughs) You talk a lot about time. And um, I think one of the things was like, I think one of the things was like, you know, we don't have enough time or, we're busy or I need more time or there's, you know, can you relate to that? Tell me a bit more about your relationship with time. I said that to a client this week and they were just shocked. <laughs> it's so interesting how we view time um, and how often people will use the phrase, I don't have time for that. And when my clients say that, I, I pause with them and I'll, tell, I'll say, what does that mean? Can you tell me more about what that means? You don't have time. And I, and for folks who are currently in therapy, I'll say you made time for this and you've committed to it financially and emotionally. You actually show up every week for this. You're making time for this. I wonder what else we can make time for. I'm curious. Let's explore. You know, what else can we, because I don't know what that means. You say you don't have time. Does that mean there's literally no time in your schedule for you to take care of you? Is that true? 
Or can we take a look at what your schedule actually is? Like, let's actually put it out there. Let's get one of those old school planners. You never used to use planners before 2020. Let's get one. (laughs) (laughs) You can get you a piece of paper and put the time slots in it and create your own planner. And let's really look at what your day looks like. And I, I really like sitting with clients and doing that. And either it's an opportunity to become more aware of how truly busy someone is or to say, you know what, I actually can make a couple adjustments. I actually can ask for help. So I don't have to be doing all of this stuff. What? I say one of my favorite exercises, and I love doing journaling challenges. We have one coming up. This is, I'm going to just go ahead and share it because I love sharing helpful things. I want you to sit and like go through your tasks and see if there's just one thing you can change. Can you plan to do it later? Can you delegate it to something or someone else? Or can you remove it altogether? And you can base that around urgency and importance. And when I say urgency, I mean how time sensitive is this task, right? Like, do you need to do it today? If you don't do it, will there be consequences? Or is it not really time sensitive, like starting a new program? Do you really have a lot of control over when that starts? You know, and then talking about uh, importance. How valuable is this task? Does it have a lot of value? Is it connected to your core values? Does it determine what will happen in your personal or professional life? Or does it not, you know? And if something is not urgent, if it's not time sensitive and it's not important, meaning it has no value, take it from me, you can take it off your task list. Mm, Why can we we take that from you? Is that what you did? Give yourself permission. I had to, and I don't, I say this term, it's a little crude, but I had to trim the fat. <laughs> okay. You know, and get to what's important. And I had to organize my own life that way. And I was like, wait a minute. I'm doing a lot of things, a lot of things that are not time sensitive and they're not even important to me. It's the perfect Michelle mask mm. mm-hmm. that's showing up here and trying to prove something to other people. Okay. Let, all right. Cool. But I have a question. <laughs> yeah. You know, these are two therapists. So, you know, we got all these questions poking. Um, yes. I'm going to be devil's advocate. All right, cool. I'll do that. Michelle, I'll do what you want. Nah, nah, nah. No, can't do that. I'm anxious. No, I feel guilty. No, my friends are telling me I'm lazy. People are telling me I need to do this. I need to do better. Gosh, I'm so worthless. Why am I not productive? Nope, can't do it. Mm-hmm. Can't do it. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. What do you say? I say, let's talk about it. <laughs> I love exploring guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. When it comes to organizing your life and talking about asking for help. Guilt is, sometimes you got to look at the definitions of these words. It helps us redefine our lives. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> we connected because I'm all about definition yes all about definition guilt is a word talking about something is rooted in consequences that's one of the simplest definitions rooted in consequences we hear the word guilt in like our legal system right we when somebody's either guilty or non-guilty that means there's a consequence for what they're being accused of doing 
we actually use the system to define our own behaviors all the time. So, and I like to put this in means of rest, asking for help and self-care. We feel guilty for doing these things because we feel the consequences, oh, somebody else is not going to like that. Or somebody's going to think I'm lazy or unproductive. Or somebody's going to think I'm selfish for taking time to take care of myself. And so you have to pause with those thoughts. Where did those thoughts even come from? Let's get to the root. Where did those thoughts come from? Where did you learn that? And is there any room, any opportunity for you to unlearn that? So again, looking at these root causes, because guilt is rooted in consequence. What is the consequence of you taking care of yourself? What would happen? What are the worst things that would happen? People think you're lazy, selfish. Do you feel like that's not enough for your kids, for your partnerships, for your friends, right? Okay, then really look into that deeply. Where did you learn those things? And is there any room, any opportunity for you to unlearn that? Because the funniest thing about us thinking it's, we feel guilty for asking for help, getting rest, practicing self-care, is that we burn ourselves out. So then we are not able to show up for our friends, for our work, and for our family. It's a, it's a funny little, little sequence there that happens. We end up fulfilling our fears anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm. We have to take some time away from work because it, in an extreme measure, I want to be mindful of this, we've had a breakdown or our physical health has now been compromised because we did not take any intentional time or preventative time to take care of ourselves. Now we do have to take a work a whole week out. Yeah. Oh my God. Now we have to pay for childcare. <laughs> Sorry. Let, you know, let me slow down. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I had the same conversation this week. Um, that because I think it's important to address that side. Um, of the guilt and the shame because what you're saying is great and I don't believe in giving how-to steps without explaining what it looks like and what it feels like because you can get stuck on people can get stuck on well I did it this way that Michelle told me to do it but why is it not working because you're not understanding that your mindset is a certain way so thank you um, for sharing that and Well, let me ask you this. I'm sure that you experienced that because I know you're not talking. She's not just telling these these things to tell you them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. (laughs) She's not. (laughs) She's telling you because she's experienced them and she's, um, but she practices herself. Um, That worth piece, because there's a lot of worth, because you mentioned guilt, but you didn't go into that shame piece now. That worth and that shame can you tell us just so people can hear your experience when you were making these changes and asking for help what did your shame piece sound like in your head and then what it what did it look like action wise actually I'll share my own story of how I even discovered self-care I think that'll be really helpful when I first started my career I was young I was really naive, really green, and ready to help. I went from my graduation day of earning my master's of social work to the very next day starting my first full-time job. Huh? I do not recommend that for anybody. Please take your breaks in between life transitions. (laughs) That was the beginning of of where I really needed to learn about self-care because I was showing up to work early. I was leaving late. 
I wasn't taking lunch breaks. I was devoting my everything to this job. I was a children's counselor and a domestic violence counselor um, at a nonprofit organization that was focused on ending domestic violence in Chicago. And I loved my job too. I want to throw that in there. I loved what I did, but I had no personal life. You know, when people say like work-life balance, let's just say there was absolutely no balance. I didn't have a personal life. My whole life was being a professional. And and I'll disclose, this was my first time working full-time. And this isn't talked about a lot, but that's a big transition from working part-time jobs or working multiple part-time jobs and being a student. So I was truly not taking care of myself at all. Again, I would go to work. The only time I would come home to sleep and eat fast food and barely sleep, wake up, do it all over again. I was doing this for the first six months of the job. And I'll also share, I was working around a lot of other hardworking people and I didn't really see them taking breaks either. So now this is work culture, right? I'm young and I'm very impressionable and I'm not seeing other people take breaks. The message I'm receiving is we don't take breaks. We have to work so hard to try and end domestic violence. You see what I'm saying? Everybody around me is working hard. That means I have to work hard. If I take a break, then I'm seen as lazy or not as committed to the cause. And and I don't say that to uh, put a negative light on anybody. I'm just sharing my experience of this is work culture. So side note, when I do self-care workshop for work organizations, I'm asking, what is the culture around here? Because folks need to know what the messages are. If the uh, supervisors, if the executive directors are not taking any breaks, guess what? People on the front line are also not going to take any breaks. This needs to be modeled in organizations so that it feels safe. (laughs) You're not going to lose your job for taking a break. All right, back to the story. So, (laughs) (laughs) So the breakthrough that I have that's connected to my worth was I was working with a child client individually. And this, this kiddo was so brave. This is a child that was experiencing domestic violence and in therapy to heal. And my sole focus was on this child. We were working on an activity together and this child looks up at me and goes, Miss Michelle, are you all right? And I remember, I think my heart like slowed down because I so wasn't expecting this child to ask me if I'm okay. This is supposed to be this child's space. But my eyes were, the, the space under my eyes sunken in. I hadn't been eating correctly. I looked tired. I looked sick. And I had a perpetual cold, so I'm sniffing. Because I haven't taken any time to take care of myself or even recognize my needs. This child paused their healing experience to check in on me, the adult in the room. That's where the shame was. Because I was ashamed of myself for not taking care of myself. And And again, those negative self-critical messages started for me of, how dare you? You're supposed to be showing up for this child, and now you're a distraction to this child. And that's where my work began of, how do I work through this shame that I feel for not taking care of myself? And how do I prioritize myself to take care of myself? That was a true breakthrough for me. And I had to discover that if I don't take care of myself, I can't show up the way I'm supposed to. That goes back to my values. I I feel like I'm doing something wrong now. I've shifted my thinking. If I'm not taking care of me, I can't do this job that I love. I can't take care of these people that I care about. I've had to shift that frame for myself so that now when I think about self-care, 
oh girl, are you tired? You should take a break. (laughs) Do you need some rest? You should put your feet up because you know, if you don't show up as your best self, you can't do your best work. Your best work is important to you. I'm like the queen of that. I'm like, like even just with my clients, have, what, did you take PO? Have you PTO? Did you book it? When is it coming up? And they'll be like, I know, I know. Did you book it? And they'll be like looking at me. like, And then they come back. I had a, someone else I was texting. I was like, I'm tired. I was like, did you take a break? When's the break? And like, I kept like texting them every now and again. Like, when is your time off? Me? Oh, I protect my time off. Like you just, mm-mm. no. But I get it because of that shame. It's so hard and people are so fearful. I love that that child, child children, you can't tell you. You can hide one thing. <laughs> the purity, the honesty, the, the genuine care. I thank them. So what was that like once you started to be your life chain? And what was that like, you know, when you started to be like, okay. Mm-hmm. I had to start detaching from my work. I had to start developing a personal life. And the theme of the day, I had to start asking for help. So I actually started therapy um, and I had a magnificent supervisor and I talked to her about it. And I asked her, because again, I was brand new at this job. So I actually was learning what does it even mean to work a balanced workload in heavily crisis work? Um, So I had to seek some support. I had to ask for help. And in therapy, I had to really recognize for myself, okay, why is your self-worth so connected to your work? And what does it even mean for you to detach, to separate? Why is it not okay for you to have a personal life? Where is the guilt? Where is the shame? What, What unpacking do you need to do to look at this a little bit closer? And I was able to do that. It was not easy. It was incredibly hard work that I'm so glad that I did. Yeah. I didn't want to face some things. Yeah. Because it was hard. It, even in that pause, it was hard for me to even admit that. That's perfect. Michelle decided to make an appearance in that moment of admitting that it was hard to go through that piece. So I want to recognize that just happened in this moment here and now. Thank you for being honest about that. Yeah. Yeah. You do want to give up. Mm-hmm. I want to emphasize that if, you, if you're trying to make a change, like asking for help when you're not used to it, you are putting your mind, your body and spirit in a place of discomfort. Because not asking for help is what feels comfortable. Asking for help is where the discomfort lies. Starting therapy is where the discomfort lies. Beginning to change your habits to be healthier will be uncomfortable. And so if we can try our best, this is not easy, but to have some acceptance and patience and understanding that we're going to have to go through something uncomfortable in order to make the changes that we want, that really will help. It's uncomfortable. It's scary, but it's worth it. Just thinking about that. Yeah. Because that's like someone struggling with perfectionism's worst nightmare. Um, was messy and imperfect. Um, and it's where you feel like, and I say feel like, cause it's not true that you're going to unravel and your worst nightmare will come true. But if you can just take that step, despite the fear, you'll see that your worst fear is actually 
that acronym, false evidence appearing real. And um, as a result of your work, you are like my Mm -hmm. second queen. (laughs) I know. (laughs) A second queen in self-care. Yeah. Workshops, you've got all these journals. And I think it's so rich when you come from that experience and can share the challenges. Um, What led you to write that? that self-help journal. Oh man. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I wrote self-explore self-restore in 2018. I had a, a notebook that I would scribble down all kinds of ideas and journaling prompts. And I was like, I think I could make this into something. So it was a burst of creativity that I just kept a collection of. And I was really inspired by my work that I did in the domestic violence work I ran a support group for adult survivors. Man, did those folks teach me a lot. The topics that came up in the group were really much centered around self-care, self-love, healthy relationships, and what does hope mean? And those are the concepts that you'll find all throughout Self-Explore, Self-Restore. Simplified, diverse journaling prompts on each page that talk about how can you be self-loving to yourself? What does self-care look like for you? What does it even mean for you to have a healthy relationship? A lot of that stemmed from the work that I did directly with survivors. And I was like, I think this could be helpful to anybody who's an adult person who wants to work on these parts of themselves. And it's amazing, but can I just say that she asked me some questions in there and I just... Yes. Because I was like, I'm I'm not answering this question today. Tightness in my chest <laughs> and the resistance. <laughs> and I said, I just rolled my eyes and like, Michelle, Michelle, oh, yes. why did you ask this question? I was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that though. I love hearing that. I, I think you can appreciate all different types of guided journals, especially if you've never journaled before. There are some types that have the same prompt on every page, which can be very helpful in terms of building a habit. For my journal, it's a little bit different. It's, there's a lot in there, a lot to explore. And I don't give you any kind of starters, introductory pieces. This is truly your guide to explore yourself and restore yourself. That also means you can start and stop wherever you want to. If there's, there's going to be prompts in there that are super easy for you. And then there will be prompts in there that are incredibly challenging. And that's a good thing. You want to challenge yourself. You want to, at your own pace, explore what you feel uncomfortable with. That's a good thing. Yeah. Growth there. It's just me rolling my eyes, being resistant. (laughs) (laughs) Like, girl, why are you asking me this today? I don't want to answer. Oh, that's funny to me. Quick question. Do you feel like, not all, but it's hard or there's often a stigma as healers to ask for help? I'll say for myself and for other helpers and healers that I know, some, there's this myth that exists that if a helper or a healer asks for help, it's considered failure or it's considered, oh, you're not competent enough. You're not strong enough to do the work that you do because you're asking for help. can relate to that real disclosure. Um, 
room with a client and you feel absolutely lost and you're like, why am I in here with this person? (laughs) I don't know what to do in this moment. Then it, you know, imposter syndrome kicks in and things like that. So I can totally relate. But in those moments, I always just go back to, um, it's the relationship that heals. You have to have good relational skills and that will always get you through. Um, it's not this, oh my God, I've got this newest um, treatment out there and all of that. If you don't have relationship, it doesn't matter what modality you use. But yeah, helpers need help. Um, we have to. We, we have to practice what we preach. And I've gotten to the place where I'm not going to recommend anything that I would personally do myself. That helps me stay very accountable because I'm funny about advice. I'll share suggestions, opinions, opportunities, choices, but, on, but you are the one who's the expert of your own life. That's what I tell my clients. I'm here to support what you want to do and offer opportunities, but you get to choose any of these because I'm not the expert of your life. You're the expert of your life. We got to have some help. And you did it. And you're still working through it. I love that you're still working through it. How can we connect with you? Yes, let's connect. And shower you with love. How can everyone? I am on the social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest under the same name, at the G. Michelle. So T-H-E-G as in good, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E. You're lucky you got all your names. I did that intentionally. Type one. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Is there anything you want the um, audience to know? Absolutely. We can stay connected also through my newsletter that I put out about every month. Sometimes I'll put a couple extra emails out there for some goodies. I love sharing. I've shared your podcast many times, Bianca. So I know the folks that have already signed up for that newsletter know what we are talking about right here. But I love sharing self-care resources, articles, podcasts, opportunities, journaling, challenges, you name it. I love to share those a newsletter. And you can find that on gmichelle.com. And try your absolute best. I know we talked about a lot of really heavy things, even in this session. But you just have to start somewhere is one of my favorite pieces to offer. And start by doing something that's just a little bit different than your norm when it comes specifically to asking for help. Because you are taking a step outside of your norm and that can be scary. Thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Bianca. Wasn't that such a great conversation? I mean, Michelle dropped so many good gems and I really hope that this conversation has inspired you to ask for help, has inspired you to really take a look at perhaps your self-care. Maybe you're doing good self-care and you just might need to make some slight adjustments. But just a reminder, it's okay to ask for help. So once again, thank you for listening. Please don't forget to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you. If you connected with what you just heard, please subscribe, rate and review the podcast. You can stay connected by following our Instagram, Authentic Wednesday Podcast and visiting our website, AuthenticWednesday.com. Remember, authenticity is a journey, not a destination.